This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 566. And the quote of the day is, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 566. And I always talk about how these episodes tend to run thematically. And there's always a couple episodes in a row that have the same theme, and this is no different. So last week we had Shannon Forrest, and we were talking all about recording. And this episode with Van Romain covers a lot of these same topics and just puts a different spin on it, has a different look on a lot of the stuff that we talked about last week as well. And for those of you who don't know Van Romain, you should check out his resume. It is crazy. He's collaborated and or toured or recorded with the Steve Morris Band, Enrique Iglesias, Billy Joel, Joan Osborne, Kansas, Blood, Sweat and Tears, the Dixie Dregs, the list it's the list is very long. You should check it out. And he has a lot of insight about serving the song. He has a lot of insight about recording, about your attitude, about building your career, about networking. There's a lot of great information in here. And I've been trying to get him on for a long time. And I'm glad that I finally did. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with my man, Van Romain. Van Romain, what's happening, man? How are you, Nick? Thanks for having Of course, of course. Thanks for thanks for being part of it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Been looking- Likewise. <laughs> so I want to, the thing that, that I find most interesting about your career is how you've played with so many different people, so many different styles, so many different genres. You know, a lot of times when, when I start doing research on, on a guest, it's a lot of people are in the same sort of genre, right? Or stay in the same vein, but you've been sort of all over the map. And I mean that in a good way in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of who you've played with and the styles that you've played. And so I want to rewind the tape a little bit and just go back to you growing up and like the influences that you had when you just got it, got started playing, because I think that's really the, the core of what builds us into the players we become later on. It definitely is in my case. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. So when you were, so did you grow up in Jersey? I grew up in Glen Ridge, New Jersey, a tiny little town, and I graduated high school with Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Maybe not interesting to drummers, but yeah, a little small town about um, um, 16, 17 miles due west of Manhattan. Were, <laughs> were you friends with Tom Cruise in high school? I was a really small school, so I, you know he wasn't my close buddy. Um, but everyone know, knew each other, you know, like class of about a hundred people right? in class. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, was, was he like, oh, I'm going to be a movie star then? <laughs> uh, apparently he was towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, I, I didn't really, again, I didn't really know I was right. I was, had my head in, into my, uh, social groups and, and way into music already, you know? So, right. So talk to me about growing up. Like what kind of what kind of stuff were you listening to? What kind of household did you grow up in? Was there was there music playing in the household all the time? And how did you get into it? I'll say my both of my parents are super musical, but they neither one of them uh, uh, you know did it professionally. So my father was just the biggest music fan, especially of of jazz. Um, 
and specifically big band jazz and uh and my so you know he took me to see buddy rich count uh, like a dozen times and stan kenton which i saw peter erskine play for the first time <laughs> um and just every single big band that was touring he would take me to go see my mother was more coming from um she loved the Beatles, but her main thing was like Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, soul music. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, that's that's that was the basis basis of it. And um, yeah, I guess you know my my father would. They both just were supportive what either my brother and I wanted to do. And you know, I I think maybe he was a little uh, concerned about what I was going to do professionally until. Uh, a marching band used to actually um, practice on my street, a small side street, you know, the suburbs of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, that was the thing that grabbed me, even though I never ended up, you know, being in a marching band. Um, that wasn't so interesting to me by the time I was older. But, um, yeah, but that's how all things started. I, I kind of feel like people are like, why did you choose music? And I always say, you know, that's interesting because I, I think it chose me. <laughs> You know, right. So, um, so when the marching band was on your, was practicing on your street, you weren't playing drums at all then? I was like four and got you. But I do remember just watching them, you know, the color guard would come first and then the horns section and then all of a sudden the drums were there and then that was just a magnet. Like I, I could kind of never, never look back. I always wanted drums after that. So it seemed like a real natural natural thing you know right so. right it's interesting the things that the things that stick out to us when we're kids and then you know however long later like how much longer you know how old were you when you started playing i started well, i started they gave me some little drums and things to jam with the house but they, they were kind of toy kits but um in order to uh um uh, for my eighth well i was eight and i wanted a drum a real drum set for for Christmas. So they said, yeah, you, you'll get a real drum set, but you have to start taking drum lessons. So I remember September of that year going in to take lessons with this guy. And I remember literally, I remember specifically going, Hey, uh, I just want to let you know, I don't want you to get too attached to me because come Christmas time when I get the kit, like I'm out of here, you know, <laughs> and uh, almost sound like a used car salesman or something to myself. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, um, I ended up studying for six years with this guy. And I kind of, his name was Carl Wolf. He also, uh, Chuck Burgey, who plays with uh, Billy Joel and mm-hmm. has a huge, another huge resume. Um, also studied with him. I just found out because I've be- become more friendly with Chuck. But um, yeah, I, I, Carl might be the one that really, like he seemed, somehow he made learning and reading and rudiments all fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, I guess there's an art to that. You know, I've never uh, taught on a full-time basis. Uh, always wanted to, but kind of feel like I've been too busy just touring and recording to to have a consistent enough schedule to be a dedicated teacher. Um, but anyway, I, I looking back, or reflecting back, I think he's probably the reason why, you know, he shoehorned me into really wanting to advance my skills even after i stopped studying with him mm-hmm. so, i think you said it best too the art 
of one, I think it's an art to, to be able to teach really well. And then the art of making something that's, that's really boring. Like, I don't, I'll just say it like root practicing rudiments is boring as hell. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But it's so, it's so important that, that you have to figure out a way to make it fun. And I think that a good teacher, I think that a good teacher does that, you know, and I think there's a lot of, this is just my take, but I think there's a lot of bad teachers out there who are maybe deterring kids and and younger players from actually going forward playing drums yeah i mean <laughs> there's a i you know as i i'm not jumping ahead too much here but i ended up going to university of miami and studying there i had an unbelievable time there and then i transferred to william patterson college for my last year because i wanted to get to new york and start hustling you know start working because i was already working when in college in miami so mm-hmm. I wanted to get to New York, which was my whole plan from the beginning, having grown up so close to Manhattan. Um, but yeah, I, I'll just say that I've I've learned to really appreciate the teachers who um, who feel that teaching is an honor and it's and and a gift, and they're born to do it. And and I've just grown to like the ones. <laughs> There's just as many teachers who I didn't feel were really teaching for the right reason too, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I and I didn't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on that. Only that, well, I don't know. Maybe this is just what they fell back on, and then they didn't realize they really wanted to do it. But to me, it's an honor, and and to myself, if I ever, you know, I still do drum clinics occasionally, and I, that's the closest thing I've really gotten to teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel in that way, if there's a room of, you know, 50 to 250 or whatever the amount of people that, you know, one person really leaves that with something they take the rest of their lives, you know, then my job, I'm like happy, you know, aside, sure. from, aside from whatever financial track transaction happened through my, uh, endorsing companies or whatever. So, right. I mean, it's interesting that there's, there's a, I mean, everyone talks about the, the, the old adage. If you, those who do, do those who can't teach, which I think is total bullshit. But what I, I do believe is that, too. what's that? I think it's bullshit too. Yeah. And, but what I do believe is that, like you said, two, there are a lot of people who teach for the wrong reasons. And there are a lot of people who teach who, can't go out there and do it themselves, but still want to be involved in music. So they teach. Uh, but I think the, the Holy grail is the people who are actually out there doing it and know how to bring it home and teach, teach it right. Or, or have done it and can teach it. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I also think along the same lines, like, uh, a great teacher doesn't have to be a drummer with a huge resume or anything like that. Like I, I, uh, I think some of the best football coaches <laughs> in history weren't necessarily the best players. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, 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 some of them might've been, but you know what I mean? Their calling was, was motivating people. Right. And seeing the talent that they have and cultivating it and nurturing it. And that, like what bigger gift could you have than that, that skill and that, um, that compassion to do that for someone else, you know, mm-hmm. Even aside from, you know, of course you're getting paid for, your time on some level. So, right. Yeah. I look at, I always look at Mike Johnston where he, 
we, you know, went out, he was in a, he was in a band, they toured for a couple of years in a, in a, in a bus and had a record deal and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, the most fun I was having was sitting on the tour bus teaching people. So I quit the band, stopped touring, stopped playing gigs uh-huh. and realized that I'm a, I'm a teacher. I just happened to be a drummer. He's like, I'm an educator. That's what I love doing. So yeah. that's what I wanted to spend the rest of my time. And he's a great, I mean, he's a great player, but he's a, he's a phenomenal teacher too. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's and, awesome. And you look at some of the, you know, it's, it is an interesting point that you look at some of the greater teachers that are actually really, really good at what they do. And, you know, they don't have that much of, you know, some, not all of them, but some of them don't, don't have that resume. Right. And then you look at the other people, some other people who have very, very extensive resumes and, they charge $400 an hour for a lesson and you go in and sit with them and it's like, this is a horrible lesson. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, for the most part, like the drum teachers I've had, like at universities, amazing. Like the guys still a very close friend, Steve Rucker from university of Miami. He just had me do a zoom clinic <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with the students there that, that are, you know, back at home, but <laughs> taking classes through their computer. Um, but after college, I, um, I think it was, I think it was Danny Gottlieb. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Danny Gottlieb suggested Gary Chester. Mm-hmm. Um, and I studied with Gary who does oh, have like an incredible resume of records he played on. And I, he's also one of the best teachers I've ever been around. He was just, he had such a magical way of, of encouraging you. And, um, and I, I remember one, like his systems from the new breed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, many- I was going to say, every time I hear the name Gary Chester, I get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean that in, in, in the most endearing way, because the new yeah. breed, uh, it, man, what a great book. I studied with him before. Well, the book came out while I was studying with him, but I would drive up to, uh, it was like new city off Palisades Parkway. Uh-huh. In you know southern New York State, north of Manhattan, um, and do these in, in these systems, but they the whole philosophy um, was basically uh, he's such a musical guy, but his philosophy was to practice these really tough systems. You know where you're playing uh, one, two, you know three different things, singing a fourth and then sight reading with the fifth limb and, and then moving it all around. Um, but his idea was not to look what I can do, Ma kind of, <laughs> kind of activities. It was more to do these exercises to open up your ears. So when you play just a straight beat, uh, or, or even complicated beat that you're, you have more capacity to listen to the musicians around you and what's happening around you. Mm. and um and that 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 was just the insight he had to come up with these systems because that's exactly what he did i was i think i was still playing a wedding band at the time but after like a month or two of doing his systems and i had to practice them two hours a day or i it was the only way to get the results but i i could suddenly hear oh the keyboard player always rushes those up beats <laughs> The guitar player always drags on the downbeats, like not not in a judgmental way. Just my hearing became more acute, right? Uh, because I was spending less energy just pulling pulling off my shit on my drum kit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
But anyway, sure. and above and beyond that, he was just the kind of person that that you and it wasn't just his resume, but he was the kind of person who made you believe in him that like you were going down the right path. And, you know, so did a lot of other great drummers. Like, yeah, I guess Dave Weckl's probably his most famous drummer, but so many guys, Kenny Aronoff and um, yeah, on and on and on. But anyway. It's it's interesting when when you first get that book and you start going through it, and if you if you approach it like in a like a in a practical sense of how you're going to use this, you're like I'm never going to use any of this stuff, but but it's important, like you said, to realize that no, this is so this is this is building your your ceiling, right? It's giving you a higher yes. ceiling so that when you are playing, you do have this room, you do yes. understand that you can listen and you're not doing all these, because he, he's like, oh, play your second hi-hat and all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, honestly, if uh, I'm not the kind of person that would go buy a book like that and totally get it, like it was only because I was working personally with him that I got it. And then I, he was such a musical guy, he go, no, nah, man, you never play this stuff live it's not really the point i mean it just opens up your independence to be able to play more what you naturally hear and feel getting rid of some of your drummer crutches that we all have Uh, but the main thing was listening i almost he almost described it as a pie chart you know like Mm -hmm. like you know here you're spending 70 percent of your uh, of your mental energy like physically pulling off and mentally pulling off the independence on your drum kit but you can't you can't listen as as well as you could as without having done these systems you know like and i guess another example is i remember my first time when i started doing recording sessions for different people we would do a take and i'd be like oh that was great let's go back into the control room and listen to it and then you'd be listening not playing so 100% of your mind is listening to what you just played and everyone else and and it's like oh my god that's that doesn't sound like what i played because (laughs) i was spending so much of my mental energy just playing it that i couldn't sit back and hear even my own kit you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so anyway um yeah he's uh he kind of put the cherry on the top of the sunday for me after all the other um people that i've studied with and and work that I've put in, which, you know, I still, I still work on <laughs> to this day, but there's, there's two things that I want to ask you about that. One, what if were their main takeaways with working with Gary Chester? Like, did you, is there something that, that you can pinpoint and say, man, these are like the top three things I really learned from him or the one thing that really resonated with me from with Gary? Um, well, the main, the number one would be just playing musical playing for the song. I, and, and at, at the expense of may, maybe sounding cocky, I was, that's the, what I've always been about. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to express, play exactly what I hear for a song. Um, but, but he, so, I mean, if I'm playing with Steve Morris, obviously the, the music's a lot more intricate and it calls for for that kind of arrangement of playing, you know, where you're, it's more complex, might have some odd meters. Um, and it's a trio situation. So the drums are featured more. Um, but even like he was, he'd be happy just hitting a tambourine, like every, every eight bars on four, if, if that's what it took. Uh, 
to make the song pop and you know be part of a great song he was completely egoless drummer wise mm-hmm. um that's probably the main thing um but he, he also instilled in me you know um uh, you know like having respect for the artist and being on time and um like when you're not on time, <laughs> of course things happen and people are late. But when you're not on time, it can it it can make some artists or people you're working for feel like you don't respect them or respect their time. Things like that. That I was, you know, I was still I was working on pretty much at the time, but somehow that stuff sunk in even deeper working with him. And then just you know the. Uh, willingness to just work your ass off I, I think that's the case with anything you want to succeed at sure which sure. didn't it didn't feel like work to me because I, I couldn't wait to get i couldn't wait to to practice and to and to work on his systems and to mm-hmm. you know whatever it, whatever it's done to help my career you know sure the second question is you mentioned going into the room, playing, going back into the control room, here, listening to yourself back and saying, oh, that that's what I sound like. And I think we as drummers get that a lot, whether we record ourselves just with an iPhone or something like that, or hear ourselves talk for the first time on, you know, on, on a recording or something. What is your advice for bridging the gap between the thing that you're playing being the thing that you want it to sound like or or bridging that gap between what you hear in the control room and what you're hearing in the recording room well it's a fascinating uh process for me still <laughs> and i have my own studio in my house that i'm talking to you in right but, uh, and you're like i don't know give me talk to me in 50 years maybe i'll figure it out <laughs> yeah, right um from my the way i see it um I, i'm yeah, I'm a slave to the song. I want the song to sound amazing, and 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 I'm not the kind of guy that's that's um, listening to the drums on a song first either. I'm listening for the song, like even if it's someone else's song that I like and you know, I have nothing to do with the recording of. Um, but in the studio, I mean, there's so many moving parts. Um, there's so many, like listening back to yourself, for instance, might have something to do with your engineer didn't really mic your drums right or something's out of phase. So it might not be because you suck if it doesn't sound good. So my overall thing is um, I just try to, in every single situation, I'm like, and I love that each situation is different, but I go into each one saying, how can I contribute to this overall thing right now with these people? And very often in a recording session, you know, I was recommended by a couple of people. I might know most of them, but maybe I don't know the producer. Maybe I don't know the engineer. Um, but it's for me, it's crucial. Um, and I guess it would make sense to <laughs> maybe it's just basic common sense to most people, but to just what can I do? Keep my ego in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. and serve this song and serve the people that are hiring me because it really is serving you know yeah and um so i try to suss that out as quickly as i can and and um without getting stressed about it like what's the situation in here should if i have an idea for an arrangement is this kind of situation where i could bring that up or is that going to rub someone else the wrong way that's you know 
Um, I, I try to suss that all out, and mm-hmm. and the same would apply to, you know, become a, playing drums and for you know big pop artists, and I've become their musical directors. Kind of, it's kind of by default in some cases, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it has something to do with that. Um, my knowledge of their music, my caring about their music, because they cared about me enough to hire me. Um, so I, I want to add more value. I want to add as much value to their experience in that recording studio or this tour on this stage, you know, that I can possibly give, you know, given mm-hmm. the, all these moving parts that are constantly changing. So. So the new Sonar SQ-1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch, and the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range, so they sound great in the studio, and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware, and it's rubber on metal, and what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell, so you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ-1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. Hey, do yourself a favor and check out Promark's Select Balance Drumsticks. These sticks give players the ability to fine-tune their standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, check out the forward balance. These are front-weighted and give you enhanced power and speed. If you are playing jazz or funk or gospel, then check out the rebound balance. These are rear-weighted and gives you more finesse and more agility. Plus, they're made by Promark, which you know you're going to get a quality product because they control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. Plus, they're paired by pitch and by weight, so there's zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your stick bag. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to Promark.com. You mentioned ego, and and I have conversations about ego a lot, not not only just on this podcast, but with friends of mine and things like that. I mean, ego is is a killer, and, and I think... And I think as we get older, uh, well, like early in our career, as we become better players, I think it's hard to keep that ego under under control, right? And do you have tips for that? Of like, hey, okay, listen, you're a great player, but you gotta you gotta still keep that ego in your pocket and and deal with that. Did you have any issues dealing with with ego or with my own ego or sure? People? No, um, with your own, like keeping it in check. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I do still think of my, you know, we're talking about teaching and learning and all this stuff. I, I still feel like I'm as like day one, as far as like my, my longing to learn and grow and I'm still there and I hope, I hope I'm always going to be there. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess it's a tricky thing because at some point I guess maybe, Maybe the the way to learn about keeping your ego in check is 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 to make some mistakes with it. I don't know. I mean, I've learned from a lot of my mistakes and moved on. And um, 
Uh, ego to me is I, I, another way I look at it in some cases is like an insecurity and, and maybe covering that up with ego. And if that's the case, that can be very dangerous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to like the last question, which is also related to this question, like in when when you're creating music in a studio with people, it's such a fragile the chemistry is such a fragile thing. Like if like already it's such a fragile thing to get all these components to work together to make beautiful music, as corny as that might sound. Uh, one person rubs another person the wrong way, whether it's a musician or the engineer or whatever, it, it can just suck the air out of a room, you know? And mm-hmm. so, yeah. So for me, I, I, I think I learned early on, but I'm constantly keeping myself in check about that. Um, but to me, very often when I've reflected on myself going, oh, I could have handled that case differently. It's normally, and I really look at it, why was I offended by that? I'm like, oh, because I, I had an insecurity about maybe the way the drums were sounding and I might have blamed the wrong person. Or Instead of like, hey, can we come together and just... Um, is how are you guys feeling about the way the drums sound? You know, instead mm-hmm. of approaching it in that way, like going, is my fucking are my fucking toms out of phase? What the hell? <laughs> so, but more often than not, I've seen other people do this in the studio and 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 been like, whoa, like, <laughs> yeah, like we're gonna have to take a break here and like right. get a meal and somehow change the state to get it back on track because you can't you can't go about making music that way. If, yeah. If, if you're playing with a live band, I mean, so mm-hmm. that's something I'm always keeping my eye on, though, with myself. And the crucial thing, too, is if you are that way in the studio and you're yelling and screaming at people, that word travels really fast. So all of a sudden, the person who's at the top of the list starts going down to the third and fourth and fifth person on the list to call because no one wants to deal with them anymore. Exactly. You know, exactly. and I'm sure that you I mean, you've been in enough recording sessions to know that there were guys who were there all the time. And then all of a sudden those guys just aren't there anymore. Yeah. And, and again, like due to my like, uh, MD uh, musical director work, like I still am, I hire, I hire a fair amount of people, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. and like I, there used to be, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than maybe some people listening, but, you know, we used to have cattle calls for auditions, and I used to, I I've auditioned for a lot of people in New York, just showing up, and there was like thirty drummers, and I actually that's how, in Enrique Iglesias was I started in two thousand one, but I was auditioning with a whole lot of other people. Uh, we don't do that anymore because I feel like I can ask, I can get really good names, I can see enough about them with their Instagram and their YouTube and um facebook to kind of get a good feel so now i have the recommendation of someone else and their content but then i start talking to them and this gets back to the ego thing and i can tell right away if like if they're I'm, i like i know they want to if they really want the job you know um i can tell some people if they're talking about their themselves too a little too much then I might back away from them and go to someone else that's that's just like, yeah, like, let me know how it works. And like, they're more interested in the job and the artist and how to do a great job. Like they're, you can clearly tell they're coming from that angle 
You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really interesting because I, this. I mean, this is super useful because there's there's plenty. You know, everyone on Instagram and how they're presenting themselves, and you you know, you have to think about an MD maybe looking at that and being like, man, this guy's a jerk, or this guy, you know, always makes snarky or rude or condescending comments and and all this stuff. And it's like I don't want to work with this guy. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's that too, what they post. Yeah. And I was also talking about it. If, if they get past that part with me, well, past the part of, oh, this person's worth talking to now, you know? Got you. Then I get Got them on you. the phone and then I add all these things up together. And then if we get to the next phase, then we play music together, you know? <laughs> so, right. Uh, as opposed to having a big cattle call thing. But it, it goes back to the same thing you were talking about um, for me with the ego in a studio if it's the same thing like hiring somebody it's as fragile an ecosystem touring with the right people Mm -hmm. and it has to be right for the artist because everything flows from the top and then it also has to be right within the dynamic of the people we already have in the band um and it's worth taking time to really make that that call and it's helped me with my own because i'm not always the md i also love just playing drums or arranging for somebody and not being that but i it also i like to think helps keep me in check because i'm not i'm like oh is this the kind of thing i would be looking for right you know what i mean so yeah for people and i'm guessing you're not hiring drummers or hiring other musicians but for for drummers out there what is your what is your advice for for getting the gig or, or advice for what MDs are looking for in not only in a drummer from a playing perspective, but also just personality types and, and things that are sort of turn ons and turn offs. Well, for, I, I am also hiring drummers because sometimes it's to sub for me with something else when I'm busy with one thing. So yeah, it's all basically the same thing. I, you know, I know people are probably used to hearing the same thing, but it's, you know, they got to be the right, person musically they have to be um um i'm interested in finding people that that um like the, my main my main gig now that i'm band leader of that i hire band members for is enrique iglesias and and he doesn't like to switch band members mm-hmm. um a lot of big pop artists they they do a cycle and they take a lot of time off and then, then they want a whole new band for the next cycle and that's not his deal. He it's there's there's more of a family feel involved with the whole thing. So I'm keeping all those things in mind for him. And the last thing I did before that uh, was Nana ninety nine Love Balloons, who's still a very big arena act in um, German speaking countries: Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and around in that area. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, and, and all those cases, you want the right fit musically for those that particular genre, and those both those artists are very different, but they're the same because they both they both like to have a family vibe where everyone on stage has it. They have love for each other, and it's genuine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the overall thing is, I want to, for instance, if I'm looking for like a young female backing singer. Um, if, if she's really super driven to get a solo career, which I would 
totally respect, then maybe she'd be a good sub. She might not be the best full-time member for us. You know, so I'm, I'm looking at things right. like, are they motivated to do this for the long run? Because that's what we want. We want less turnover. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is what kind of person they are. Yeah. Do you know how they are? I mean, we're, we're not sharing rooms, but it's very much of a, um, yeah, yeah, you're just a little group of people and, and we're self-sustaining and, and everyone needs to be cool with each other and, um, and that having the ego thing in check and, um, yeah, so I'm like, I don't know if I'm giving concise answers, but just no, some, I think this is some, all good. Someone you know is like, I want to contribute. I want to be part of this team. And you can feel that from people. You can feel that 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 is genuine and that they fit into the, you know, the money that's being offered for them and that they want to do it for the long run. And then, uh, yeah, and then after that, <laughs> once you get the right person, then there's less, there's less uh, busy work for the MD or band leader or whatever you want to call me in this situation. Um, cause they, they manage themselves. You know, I, I spent enough time looking for someone. I don't have to, you know, sometimes there's a learning curve with some younger people, which I, mm -hmm. to I totally get. I know other MDs. Have, I had a learning curve getting to into my first gigs and, you know, um, so, and had to learn to how to kind of, how the tour thing rolls. Mm -hmm. Talk about, talk about getting your foot in the door. I think that's so important. That's like, that's the big mystery, right? It's like, how do you're there's, you're either outside the wall or you're inside the wall. How do you get inside the wall? Because everyone's from the outside looking in. And once you're in, you're like, I'm doing anything I can to stay inside of these four walls. Yeah. Well, the thing that's changed, um, I mean, I, when I first moved to Manhattan in like the late eighties, <laughs> give you an example. So, you know, there were, there wasn't social media and stuff like that. So it was all about, in my opinion, it was all about location. I was doing an awful lot of drum clinics at the time, um, mostly through Sabian uh, when I wasn't on tour. Um, and that was always the number one question, you know, what do you suggest um, to get my career off the ground? And I'm like, move out of Missouri. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, if you really want that, but, but it, it I think, I think everyone needs to be clear about what what's going to make them happy. And maybe at the living in a shoebox apartment in Manhattan isn't isn't that, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but if like I was willing to do that because that's where the music scene was happening at the time. I think it's actually more happening in L.A. and Nashville now than New York. Uh, so things have changed and, and the internet and social media has changed all these other things. But the main thing is to get, get your shit in front of people. So they see it and they hear it. And I still think people seeing people play live in a room. I know it might be a touchy subject at the moment, given our current <laughs> situation. Sure. Um, but that's how I've gotten everything that's ever happened to me. Um, and sometimes a very small clubs playing with someone, you know, that I wasn't maybe making a lot of money with either, but I just mm -hmm. really liked the music. So, but it showcased me. So, uh, now I see people 
doing pretty well with Instagram and, and posting videos. If you really know what you're doing and if you're a drummer and you, you have a good means to record yourself and have it sound, have it sound good. You know, there's some people that are Instagram stars that don't really have big resumes. Um, but some of those people have gotten big gigs through that. So I, I'd say whatever you can, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I still think, and, and perhaps this pandemic might change this, this a bit, uh, but at the moment, I still think it's about the location of where you live, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not going to stick my neck out. And if, if I hire the wrong person, it's like, it's, I mean, that's what an MD is, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you've one job, right? Well, I mean, not one I job, mean, but the pop like, star, they're busy with looking for new songs for the next record with dealing with their publishing company, dealing with the label, dealing with all the meet and greets, all the publicity, all this other stuff. And they need one guy or maybe two guys. Cause I work with other people within Rick Enrique's thing, but we're, you know, we're handling, we're, we're the buffer. So, so, if there, but there's, if there's a problem with the band, he's not looking at that band member. He's looking at me, <laughs> you know? Yep. So if I hire the wrong person, he's looking at me and, but you know, he knows we're all human and cause Hey, you know, okay, let's learn from that. Move on. You know? So, mm -hmm. um, I, and my, and my track record has gotten sharper and sharper as I've learned each time where I'm like, Hey, you know, he's a great really a great musician i'm not sure if it's the great per if he's the right person and normally that means he's not the right person right that's that's what i've learned i'm not saying would you be more inclined to hire the greatest drummer who's kind of a dick or the guy who's an amazing person and just a really solid drummer um the latter yeah, I mean, I I, I hired a someone, <laughs> remain nameless, who's an incredible drummer, <laughs> and he's grown up quite a bit, and he's still a very close friend, and uh, our friendship stayed together through it. But yeah, it was I learned a lot from that experience, and he was just so the wrong person, and yeah, it's a good story, but it it would reveal his name, so. I, <laughs> But yeah, I'm like, never again. I'm never going to hire anyone again unless I get that, that overwhelming feeling of like, this is absolutely the best. This is going to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. obviously it can be a lot of different people that can work for that given situation, but cutting corners with something that's, uh, that's so, um, you know, one person can just bring down a whole room, bring down a whole stage. Mm -hmm. It's worth taking the time. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I had someone email me a couple of weeks ago and was asking, do I know of a lot of people who've gotten gigs from from Instagram or social media in general? And I said, you know, I can name a couple people. I think that uh, I know that like Luke Holland got a gig from from so his social media presence. And I said, Nate Smith, I think everyone knows who Nate Smith is now because of of Instagram. And he's like, He's just a player who happens to be on Instagram. He's not like a, you know, trying to be Instagram famous. Um, but I don't know. I don't know of a lot. And you would probably know better than I because you're seeing who's getting hired and such. But I don't know of many people who've gotten gigs from Instagram because I think a lot of people put the wrong stuff on Instagram. They put themselves chopping it up or 
you know, playing guitar solos over over a tune or something like that, which my guess is you're not looking for that as an MD to hire someone. Yeah, maybe maybe they're not thinking. Um, maybe they just want to. I don't know. Maybe they're not thinking about marketing themselves in that case. I don't know. You know, I, all I know is when I see the right thing on somebody's Instagram or wherever it is online, and I'm I happen to the, like the doors open for me to find somebody, which I I'm not in that place at the moment. Um, um, that stuff's really helpful. It's, it's when when it is the right thing. When when musically they're like. You can tell, like, well, if they're musically willing to let that go on up to the internet, then I don't think they're the right person for us, you know. But I can just make that decision <laughs> myself and <laughs> just yep. move on to the next person till I find the right person. So, um, yeah, but you're right. Or even their e- even their comments on if they're commenting about things and not keeping that in mind. Um, Anyway, it's something for people to keep an eye on. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I have very definite political views, <laughs> which which I won't go off on, on about here. I'll, but I, I'll never post about that stuff, you know. Yeah. So, um, because my social media really is, is for for the music thing. And I just. Um, yeah, I'm careful. Yeah. I, try, I try to be careful, you know. No politics and no religion, right? It's like you're never Well, I don't. I mean, I respect someone if they if they want to use that platform and you know, a lot of huge stars have done it. <laughs> and uh maybe they can afford to, you know, because they've not like they're gonna lose jobs over it. They might lose some ticket sales. Um mm-hmm. uh but for me I I just decided not to go there. Um I think, I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, why my question is to myself, or why, why do I have social media? Okay. Cause I want to, I want to network. I want to meet new people. I want to create new people. I need to hire new people. Sometimes some people might want to hire me sometimes. So that's why, that's what I think about before I post something. So I have two kids that I'm more proud of than anything in my life. And I'm not really putting Occasionally, I might put a little something to a small group about them, but it's the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I'm a little bit private of, about my family life as well, so that's sure. yeah. So yeah, I'm the, I I get that. I'm the same way. I don't post a lot of like me and you know my wife and I and what we're doing and what we're up to and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, here's some drum stuff and some more drum stuff. Yeah. And I understand, you know, sometimes you'd be your friends with someone who's not a musician and hang like, hey, how come you didn't post it? I'm like, well, I use mine for something different. And right. um, and I don't feel like making another account <laughs> just for that stuff. But uh, I do have another account for that. And I can tell you, it's probably not worth it. OK, it's like it just I mean, I shouldn't say that I have no I, I enjoy it because like I put I just put pictures up. It's mostly like of traveling or, be, you know, music or or like concerts or, and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not about drumming specifically. Um, so, but then I'm like, I don't know. I, I always forget to post stuff on there. So, and then I'm like, Oh yeah, I have this other friends and family account that I don't know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers here. <laughs> yeah. Neither do I. Don't, don't take my advice on it. <laughs> um, 
So speaking of of uh, stuff, the I know that right now, obviously, uh, no tours are happening. But but is there any word of when you're going to be back on the road yet, or is everything still kind of up in the air? Um, the next thing that I have, uh, I'm uh, fortunately I'm, uh, I got a badass studio here, and I've been relatively busy here. <laughs> Not as busy as I, I would be in, in normal circumstances. Um, the the next well, I lost you know had dates in May that got blown out, and um, um, most of the stuff's been in with, within Ricky. We're supposed to do um, an arena tour in the United States September October. That has not been canceled yet. Um, that's uh, through Live Nation. Um, so we're just you know taking it as it comes. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone is doing that, right? Thank yeah. God for technology. I mean, I can't imagine if this was, you know, 1991. Yeah. Because the, no one would be doing anything. We wouldn't be doing this interview. You wouldn't be doing recording sessions. Businesses wouldn't wouldn't be able to work remotely. I mean, there's looking it's a it's not the greatest situation. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of of the the coronavirus and all that, but but thank God for technology. Well, I agree with you. Yeah, and if our Wi-Fi shut down, that'd be a whole nother. <laughs> don't a whole nother don't thing. jinx it, Van. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, our conversation's yeah. over. Pew. But I've been working on a record with a friend of mine that, um, who's, you know, we we've always worked in the studio together, and um, and, he, and we obviously we got to work remotely now, and 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 he's somebody I really really respect, and he. Um, he was he was a little bit um hesitant to give me direction you know and i'm like bro i'm like you know when we work in the studio and you just lean over and you go hey could you could you double that thing with your kick drum i think it'll help my guitar riff and he goes yeah i'm like i need that from you now and then we can <laughs> i need you to be that be that way with me remotely yeah. and we and we can really keep the same connection like and it really does work when remotely because I've been I work remotely a lot even before the pandemic. Um, and when people are communicating the right way, and there's a little little more back and forth, and it, it works. Yeah. <laughs> I did the last Steve Morse record here as well, <laughs> and it. Um, so I, you know, I would send like a. Um, and normally it's like 14 to 16 tracks of drums, something like that. But, you know, you just send a rough MP3 along with their rough track. I'm like, are we in the ballpark? Like performance-wise, sound-wise, uh, no, we're not in the ballpark. All right, let's jump on the phone. Let's talk. You know, what are you thinking? And then we make the changes. And yeah, the back and I think and it goes back to what you're saying, serving the song, right? So just being yeah. a slave to the song and being like, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to interject my my thing here like does this sound good or or is this what you're looking for and if not then i'll change it my yeah i guess in overall my point is i think uh working remotely takes takes also um a willingness and openness to to really discuss things where it, 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 i think because he's like oh you're doing it in your studio and i'm not there like you know I should just let van remain play what he wants to play in his studio i'm like no not that <laughs> No, I want you to love it like 10, 20 years down the road, bro. Like, talk to me. Like, and thank God he did. And then the next day he goes, actually, yeah, it'd be great if you could do this and that, the other thing. And, and like, 
I'm really proud of it. You know, like just he has the vision about it. I got the demo on his guitar, you know, with him right. singing into his iPhone. <laughs> I don't yep. see the whole picture that, that he's had in his mind. So now I do, and it worked. <laughs> so it was a really cool experience just because I've worked remotely with other people and we got a great working relationship like that. Mm-hmm. And this is just one particular artist um, that he was he was shy about, you know, doing it remotely. And and I think now he's it's cool. Like we can work this way. You know, I, I still prefer being in the same room with people. Sure, so, of course. Yeah, nice. So if people want to keep an eye on not only what you're doing, but if they, you know, if there's people who want to want you to work on their record, if you're open to that kind of thing, what's the best place to follow along and and keep in contact with you uh a- anywhere you know like um i don't actually have email on my website um for a reason but i um no actually i do yeah this contact through vanromain.com but more often than not if it's, it's someone that doesn't already have my contact info it's just through instagram facebook cool and we'll and i'll link up to that in the show notes so everybody can can find it as well awesome so. Well, Van, I thank you for for doing this. I know that that you could be doing a thousand other things right now because we all have we all have time on our hands, and it's a great <laughs> time to like work on projects and and do these other things. So I appreciate you taking the time to be part of the podcast and sharing all this expertise that you've gained over the years. Well, thank you for thinking of me, and uh, yeah, been hearing about you for a long time. So congratulations on all your success with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh. thanks for being part of it. You got it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. Take yep, care. Bye-bye. There you have it, my man Van Romaine, and you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash 566. And if you dig the podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, please. You can do that on iTunes. It takes a minute, and it's just your way of saying thanks for all of these three episodes that we've been putting out for the last six plus years. So again, you can do that on iTunes, and I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, it lets other people know that they should be listening to the podcast too. So if you could do that, I thank you, and other than that, that's all I got, so keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Katherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.